Good morning. It's nice to see you all here this morning. And uh, I think you'd all agree it's been an amazing uh, time of worship, hasn't it, and time with God this morning so far. And uh, I'm just going to pray, if that's okay. I want to just start by just praying, and uh, then we'll get into the Word of God. Um, So let's go. Lord Jesus, I just thank you so much that you are with us here this morning. And uh, I just want to thank you that you have um, been speaking to us. You've been speaking to us about your love, your grace, your mercy. You've been healing. You've been setting us free. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that um, you've been reminding us of, of that day when one day we will be with you in eternity. And personally, I can't wait for that, Lord Jesus. <laughs> but I am so thankful for what you're doing here as well amongst us and in our lives. And I just pray, Lord Jesus, that as we uh, listen to your word this morning, I pray that you give us open hearts, open minds to receive what your word says and speak to us. Help me as well to deliver this, I pray, in your name. Amen. Amen. Now, I forgot to say, my name's Nick, and uh, I kind of lead a number of things in the church, uh, you know, life groups and other things. So it's nice to be here this morning. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians, and we're going to carry on our series in Ephesians. And uh, we've got to chapter 5. So I'm going to read uh, these verses to you. It's Ephesians 5, verses 5. Sorry, do you know what? I think Tom's probably sitting at the front thinking, oh dear, he's prepared the wrong passage. Ephesians 6, I meant to say. Sorry. <laughs> Don't worry, I've got the right passage. Ephesians 6, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? Ephesians 6, verses 5 to 9. Okay, so here we go. So bond servants, and in some versions it will say slaves. So bond servants, slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants or slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or is free. Masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with God. Okay. So I want to give you a bit of a uh, bit of context, really, this morning. I want to just kind of go over what Ephesians is all about. And uh, Ephesians was written by Paul. And Paul was a church leader, one of the first early church leaders. He was what we would call an apostle. He was responsible for a number of churches over a kind of wide geographical area. And he brought doctrine. He brought teaching. Um, he, he kind of guided, helped, trained people, church planted And uh, he wrote this letter of uh, Ephesians to the church in a place called Ephesus. You can still go there now. I would love to. My parents have been. They say it's amazing. It's a a bit of a ruin. But it's an interesting place. It's in modern-day Turkey. And Ephesus was probably one of the most important cities in um, Western Asian Minor. It had a population of around 200 to 250,000 people, which for that day was huge, massive. It was a massive place. 
it was a, a trading, it was a port city. It had an inland port, um, and everything that goes with a trading port city happened in Ephesus. It was vibrant, it was bustling, it was tough, it was multicultural, and it was under the Romans, and it embraced everything that the Roman culture had to offer, their gods, their culture, the way of life, and it also embraced slavery. Now, slavery was endemic in Roman times. It was, in fact, you know, society, Roman society was built on slavery, and it's estimated that about 10%, and in some areas, up to 20% of, Rome, of the Roman population were slaves in the Roman Empire. So that out of a, uh, out of a they, they think, a population of around 50 million people in the Roman Empire in the first century AD, around 5 and 10 million people were slaves. So it's massive. And uh, I'm going to read a quote to you from a, my favorite historian, got a funny name, Professor Mary Beard, okay? And, uh, but she, <laughs> you may have seen her on TV. And this is what she says. She says, slaves shared the single characteristic of being human, in pro uh, being human property in someone else's ownership. But that apart, they were just as varied in background and style of life as the free citizens. There was no such thing as a typical slave. Some would have been enslaved abroad uh, after defeating war. Some would have been a product of a ruthless tra uh, slave trade, trafficking people. Others would have literally been rescued from the rubbish dump. The Romans culture in those days, if you didn't want your child, it was okay and justifiable to leave your child somewhere you didn't want it on a rubbish dump, and that was a free source of slaves. Some slaves were born in-house to slave women, and slaves' conditions of life varied from cruel and cramped to borderline luxury. Attitudes of the free population to their slaves varied. For owners, there was sometimes disdain or sadism, but that sat side by side with a degree of fear and anxiety about their dependence on slaves and their vulnerability. What happens if they rose up and, and revolted? And they, slaves and free worked closely together, and they were part of the Roman family. The word familia, for, which is the Latin word for family, always included free and non-free members of the household. So that's what Professor Mary Beard says in her studies. And into this environment, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. And in writing in this way, he isn't condoning or agreeing or accepting slavery. Of course he's not. Slavery is abhorrent, isn't it, in any form. It's an ungodly practice and completely contrary to the word of God, completely contrary to Paul's teachings elsewhere. You know, Paul teaches in Christ we are now one new person. We're loved by God. We're sons and daughters. We're, we have equal standing before God, whatever our backgrounds. In Corinthians, Paul talks to um, the slaves in the congregations, and he says, if you can free yourself, do it. You know, if you can buy your freedom, do it. And then there's an extraordinary story in the book of, in the Bible, in the book of uh, Philomen, can't say it, Philomen, Philomen, that's it, yeah. I knew I'd get muddled on that one. Where Paul writes to Philomen, 
who actually is a Christian slave owner, and he's saying, I've, one of your runaway slaves, Onesimus, has come to me, and I've sorted him out. He's sorry. Can you accept him back? And can you free him as a beloved brother in Christ? And so what Paul is doing here when he writes this passage and he's talking about slaves is that he is talking into a culture which already exists. And the fact was, was that as the gospel was spreading through the Roman Empire... Slaves and masters were becoming Christians. They were being saved. And they were attending the same churches. I mean, it's a kind of, it's an amazing dynamic, isn't it? And if you read through the New Testament, there's loads of teaching on how that dynamic should work and how it works. And it's into this context that Paul is bringing this teaching. And he's teaching whether slave or master, you both have a new master now, Jesus and we, you, live your lives out with a new perspective, with a different set of values to the world. And we also need to look at these verses in the context of what's happened in the rest of Ephesians. We've already been, we've been covering it over the past few months. In Ephesians 1 to 3, we, we've heard, haven't we, some of these amazing truths about how we are now new people. We are New in Christ, we have, been, we have become new creations, saved by God's grace. In chapter 4, we um, get practical advice about what that means, how we walk in our, in, our new, in our new selves in a manner worthy of our calling. In chapter 5, Paul carries on this advice, and then he brings in this kind of area of, of submission, and we've been hearing about this over the past um, two or three weeks, all based around this verse in chapter 5, verse 21, submitting to one another out of uh, to reverence for Christ. And under this, this principle of submission, which Jesus modeled, Jesus considered equality with God, nothing to be grasped. He, he obeyed the Father. He humbled himself. He, he submitted himself to the Father's will to come and save you and I, to come and live on this earth. Under this principle of submission that Jesus modeled, we get this teaching, don't we? We've heard about it over the past few weeks, about how husbands and wives should behave with each other, how we should submit to one another, how children and parents should behave towards each other. And now, Paul is saying, right, on to the next category, slaves and masters. This is how you should behave with one another. So this is the context of what we are reading here this morning. And you're probably sitting here thinking, yeah, very good. <laughs> But, you know, I don't know of any slave-master relationships in the church. Sadly, you know, there are slaves, aren't there, in this world? There are slaves in this country. But it's not an everyday thing for us, is it, as modern-day British-UK citizens? You know, we don't know of those relationships necessarily. And so this morning, what I want to do is look at what Paul is saying and I want to look at it in the context of a kind of modern-day parallel. The worker-boss-employee-organization relationship. And before um, some of you kind of think, well, you know, thank goodness I've retired. <laughs> or, you know, I've, I'm not in work at the moment. This isn't for me. Well, what I'm going to do is lean to that perspective. But I also think the principles that we're going to be looking at this morning really do apply to whatever situation you find yourself in this morning. So whether you're in paid work, whether you are in voluntary work, 
whether you are a stay-at-home dad or a stay-at-home mum, whether you're unemployed, whether you're retired, I've tried to cover everyone. <laughs> whatever category, whether you're a student, there you go, it's another one. Whether, whatever category you're in, these principles that we're going to be looking at this morning are God-breathed principles, and they will serve you well if you look at them and take them seriously and apply them in your life. Now, thinking about work, I think you will agree it's been quite an interesting two years, hasn't it, over the past two years? I've been looking at... So I work in human resources, so I've got all these surveys and whatnot that I can look at. And uh, there's been some interesting stats that have been coming out. And I think we've all found it... We found lockdown quite interesting, didn't we? And uh, suddenly, I remember the day I was working for the church at the time. I remember Tom sitting us all down and saying, um, next week, it's all at home. And you're thinking, oh, my word. <laughs> you know, it's just like this shock, wasn't it? Like, okay, and everyone was quiet and was like, okay. And I'm sure we've all been through that. What does that mean for me? You know, at home, trying to work with my children all around me, you know. It was just difficult, wasn't it, two years ago? And then now the conversations have shifted. They're having my workplace to this thing called hybrid working, which I'd never heard of before. And now I'm kind of trying to figure out what does hybrid working mean? You know, do I... Um, is it okay to put the washing out? I don't know. You know, is it, is it okay to take the dog around the block halfway through my day? You know, do I, should I go in every now and then to show willing? What does it mean? And I don't know about you, but, you know, um, offices all around the country are kind of defining what work means. It's a difficult time, isn't it? And uh, in this recent survey, 23% of UK workers say that work, in general, makes them feel stressed. 18% said that workload demands kind of contribute to that distress, so, sorry, to that stress. And then another survey indicated that in the UK, job satisfaction is at its lowest for a very long time. Only one in five people state that they're satisfied in their role. And then there's, on top of this, the economic uncertainty, isn't there? I don't know about you, has anyone looked at their wage packet recently and thought, hang on a mo, look at that tax. <laughs> tax has gone up. Wages aren't necessarily going up. There's a lot going on in the workplace. And for many of us in this room, I know this will ring true. But as followers of Jesus, how do we respond to this? How do we apply godly principles to what is a difficult time? And into this environment, I believe that the Bible brings some incredible wisdom, some incredible truth for us. And I want to unpick some of this this morning. And the first bit of wisdom I want to unpick, it might not be what you expect. And I can tell you for certain, it's definitely not in any, any HR textbooks. <laughs> in verse 6, Paul tells us that we are slaves of Christ. And you just think, hang on a moment, have I read this? Have I read this right? Slaves? Slaves of Christ? You know, this is, as Paul lost his marbles, what is going on here? You know, he's talking to a culture full of slavery, and then he's saying we are slaves. And Paul's statement that we are slaves of Christ, then, in First Testament, um, sorry, in the first century church, turned the worldly order on its head. Can you imagine the ructions? that that caused. You know, he's saying to slaves, you're free 
from your earthly masters. You have a new heavenly master now, and that makes you spiritually free. He's saying to masters, you are now slaves. The Romans were paranoid about slavery. They were like, you know, we're worried. Oh, we don't want our slaves to, to rise up. And then Paul's coming in saying, you know, masters, you are slaves. Slaves, you are free. Can you imagine that? What that, what that, what that did to people? He's saying to slaves, you're free. And they're thinking, wow, what a hope. To masters, wow, I need to change some things in the way I behave. And then you fast forward this 2,000 years, and the fact remains that if you are a follower of Jesus, the Bible says you are a slave of Christ. And even today, it's a shocking statement, isn't it? And I have been thinking about this sermon for a number of weeks, and I'm thinking, how do I talk about this? How do I say this? this even the phrase, slaves of Christ, it's kind of insulting, isn't it? It's offensive to our modern-day minds. You know, it's a nasty, it's, it's not nice. What does it mean? And I think, just to think about this, what I thought was, I just want to kind of unpick, really, what our culture says. And maybe it, it, it kind of explains some of our reaction to this. And then I want to talk about the glorious truth of what it actually means to have a new master, Jesus. One of the anthems of this age is the 1990s song by the band Junior Reed and the Soup Dragons. Does anyone know it? I'm going to sing it to you. Are you ready? I'm free to do what I want any old time. Anyone remember that? No? I'm free to do what I want any old time. As you can see, someone else in the family has got a better singing talent than me. And in all seriousness, this sentiment, I'm free to do what I want any old time, is one of the greatest lies of our age. And the Bible is absolutely clear that whether consciously or subconsciously, whether you like it or not, we are all subject to something. And we, there is the, the freedom that this world thinks it wants, and in some cases thinks it has, is a total myth. Physically, on a physical level, we pay, we, we pay taxes, we work, we have obligations to government, to employers. Emotionally, on a mental level, we have, there's image, there's peer pressure, worries, doubts, fears. We're fueled by, aren't we, what people think, maybe, what social media says, by maybe experiences that we've had in the past. And on a spiritual level, the Bible is absolutely clear you either belong to God in, in Christ, or as Paul puts it in Ephesians 2, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You are walking, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, Satan. And so contrary to what people think, no one is free. We all have a master. And into this context, Paul, Paul's words here in this passage, are actually wonderful, reassuring truth. He says in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. And you can see the, com the, the comparisons now to slavery. You have been bought. As followers of Jesus, you have been bought. Not by money, but by the blood of Jesus. A price had to be paid for our sin. 
blood had to be shed for our sin. And Jesus took that punishment for us. And Jesus submitted to the will of the Father and died for us to rescue us and to give us new life. And the Bible says we are now owned. Can you see the comparisons to slavery? We are now owned, not by an earthly master who wants as much out of us as possible and then dumps us. No, we are owned by God. We've been brought into life. Jesus owns us. We are owned by the creator of the world, the one who chose us. He chose you. He saved you from your sin. He loves you. He provides for you. He cares for you. He matures you. We have a different master now. This isn't oppressive. This is freedom. Look at our new master. We've been looking at him this morning, haven't we? Look how wonderful he is. Look how he brings healing and freedom and joy and peace and answers to our issues. And even if the answers don't come, we know he's there with us. And we now exist for him. We don't exist for an earthly master. We exist for the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We have purpose. He has good works that he's prepared for us in advance. The American theologian and author John Piper says, to be a slave of Christ is to be the freest of all people. And we can live as people who are free. So let's look at these three categories again. Physically, the government is not your Lord. We don't belong to the government. Now, I'm not saying revolution, <laughs> just to put, be clear. But I'm saying that we obey the government for Christ's sake now, for our new master's sake. Our employer, our boss is not our Lord. We don't belong to our bosses, to our employers. But we obey them for Christ's sake. Our new master, Jesus, sends us into this world to submit to earthly governments, to submit to teachers, to submit to parents, to submit to church leaders, to submit to work leaders, to, as husbands and wives, to submit to each other, to bring his glory, to bring his example into this world. And emotionally and mentally, now, as we are in Christ, we are free. Nothing in this world or nothing that other people say about you defines you. We are defined by our new master, by Jesus by what he says you are. God's love, our new master's love, is sufficient. We don't need to live our lives seeking the love and, the, uh, for, and for the approval of others because we have a master who loves us, who's given up everything for us. And spiritually, in Jesus, we experience the grace of God through Jesus making us new people. This change, this new life, it gives us the ability to live lives of freedom. Paul describes in the book of Romans how once we were slaves to this world. I read it in Ephesians, how we are just slaves to the master, the ruler of this world. But now we're free. And we're free. We, were used to, we used to be slaves to sin. But now we're free. Jesus is our new master. And we are now slaves to righteousness. That sin, that thing that, is, that you just cannot shake off in Jesus you can shake it off. You can deal with it because you are now a slave to righteousness, not a slave to sin. This freedom impacts our every, life, every part of our lives, even in the most oppressive situations. I want to share my own story about this, how the truth 
that I now belong to Jesus helped me through an ex- extremely difficult, difficult period in my life at work. About five years ago, I was working in a job in the NHS, and I had too much work. I was overwhelmed. I had unclear objectives. I had poor support. I was worried. It knocked my confidence. I was unclear about what to do. I hated going to work. I was depressed. I was probably the nearest to depressed, kind of, you know, as the word is properly used, as I, as I, um, as I ever have been. I used to often cry before I went to work. And I tried to say something. I did the right thing. I did the HR thing to do. You know, it's what I would tell someone to do. I tried to raise the issue. But no one listened. And actually, no one could really help. And then my boss went off with a breakdown as well to make it even worse. And in that situation, I was determined not to do the same as my boss. I was determined I was not going to let this stress get hold of me and ruin my life. And so I threw myself on Jesus. And I mean literally, threw, you know, on the bed, kind of, God, I need your help. And I made myself pray. It wasn't easy, but I made myself do it. I made myself read the word of God. And if anyone's in this situation this morning, Psalms is a great place to start. And you know what? God didn't change the situation. As far as I'm aware, and I I still have contact with people in my old workplace, it's still pretty much a mess. There's still a lot of pressure and lots of issues and lots of things going on. But God changed me. He changed my outlook. He changed my perspective. And I saw that actually whatever people say to me or do to me, whatever circumstances come up, whatever the enemy will try and snare me with mentally in in my head, I am totally enclosed. And I mean it, enclosed. As if a parent is hugging a child, enclosed, loved, kept safe by Jesus, my new master. And it is a wonderful thing. And as I realized this, as I grasped this, my focus changed. And I went to work with the attitude that, actually, do you know what? My employer is not my ultimate boss. Jesus is my master now, and I will work the hardest I can. But whatever happens, I'm in the safest place. I'm in the hands of my Savior, who brought me, who owns me, who gives me purpose, who has plans for me. Now, I'm not saying, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we should put up with unfair treatment. I'm not saying that we should put up with injustice. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't seek opportunities elsewhere if we're not happy where we are. I'm not saying that. In the end, for me, another door opened and I moved on. But that experience changed my perspective on work. And sometimes God allows these things to happen to us, doesn't he? To shape us, to grow us, to discipline us. And for some of us, you know, we can't move on. I mean, think about those slaves that Paul was speaking to. They, they couldn't just move on. But the message here, and what and Paul is kind of saying, you are slaves, you, are, you have a new master, you are in the safest place now. The message here 
is that when we become Christians, there is a profound change. We have a new Lord, Jesus, who is above it all. He's our master. We are in the safest place. And I just feel that maybe there are some people here this morning who are in that situation, that you can identify completely with what I've just said. And some of you may be coping with it well. Some of you may be thinking, yep, I'm getting through this. But some of you may be really struggling this morning, and I would really encourage you to come and talk to me or someone else in the prayer team or one of the leaders, just to, or your life group leader, and just to ask them to support you in that. And then the message here also is about, it's not about just who we are and how that protects us. In these verses, Paul starts to talk to us about, well, how we should be in the workplace as well. And in Ephesians 4, Paul talks about what the world's like. And so I'm going to read this list to you. And, you know, I'm sure we've identified, we can identify some of this stuff in our workplaces. I certainly can. Hardness of heart, sensual, dirty jokes, that sort of thing. Um, greedy to practice impurity, fascination for evil, lying, bitter, angry, gossipy, nastiness. And I'm sure a lot of us work in lovely workplaces, but every now and then that sort of stuff creeps in, doesn't it? And I know that to be the fact. I work with some lovely people, but every now and then you see some of these things and you see the world impacting the workplace. And Paul says in Ephesians 4, he says, look, everyone, look, look, church. He's saying, that was your old self. I've written this list so that you can identify what your old self was. And now, in Christ, with a new master, you are a new person. Put on your new self. Be the new person that Jesus has made you. Let the Holy Spirit fill you. Let the Holy Spirit renew your mind so you're not thinking like the world. So you're not getting bitter and angry. So you're not gossiping. You're not slandering. You're not thinking nasty thoughts. Let the Holy Spirit renew your mind. And what Paul is doing in these verses, he's giving us some real practical advice on how we should be in the workplace. And the first one is in verse 5, trembling. Thinking, what? <laughs> they go into work trembling? What does he mean? What does he mean? Kind of obey our, our earthly master with trembling. Well, he's not saying trembling at your boss. He's saying we're free from them, as we've already said. <laughs> but trembling out of reverence for Christ, your new master. Go to work trembling for reverence for Christ. In Isaiah 66, verse 2, it says, God, well, God says this, but this is the one to whom I will look. He, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. God looks at you if you are contrite in spirit and take his word seriously. And we must live out our Christian lives like this, mustn't we? In the workplace and outside with a sense of the power and the glory of, of Jesus. We must never forget who he is. He is our friend. He does love us. He does graciously come to us. But he is also the Lord of lords and the King of kings 
And this trembling that Paul's talking about is the effect of humility and lowliness in the presence of the infinite majesty of Jesus. And ultimately, let this be a reassurance, but also a, a stirring challenge to you. Ultimately, the person we work for is Jesus, this person. And we need to go to work thinking that and remembering that so that we tremble if we're tempted to think, I'm going to get involved in that gossiping. No, we're serving someone else who's bigger and above this. And in verse 5 and 7, Paul says, Go to work with a sincere heart and in, a, in goodwill. And whatever you do, whether on earth, uh, you know, whatever, sorry, whatever you do on earth, whether at work or at home or volunteering, in any situation, we must serve with a whole and sincere heart in goodwill. And the opposite of that, as Paul puts it, is just eye service, isn't it? It's putting on a good face. It's just kind of like an external conformity. When inside, you're thinking, you know what? I really hate my boss. He's a complete idiot. <laughs> or, you know, this workplace. Oh, dear. My goodness, it's terrible. You know. And Paul is saying, don't be hypocrites. Don't, you know, kind of give this external conformity when inside you are thinking horrible, nasty thoughts about your, your, employee, your um, colleagues or your boss. And the heart and the will, there are inner life. And this is what God sees. And this is what matters to God. And when you do your job, of course give external obedience. But we must do everything about with a heart sincere to serve our new master. This is what God is all about. Whatever your duty is, let it be from the heart. Be real. You know, don't, don't just put up with kind of you know, issues. If there's an issue, speak up about it respectfully. But don't harbor hatred. Don't harbor cynicism. Don't harbor negativity. You know, just do, do things. God is saying, do, Paul is saying, do things. Work with a sincere heart. And our attitude to should be, I want to bless this workplace. I want to give it my all. And I, I really want to bless my boss because I now have two bosses. My, you know, my, my um, boss goes in two directions. I have the earthly boss and a heavenly boss. And if my earthly boss is not worthy, my heavenly boss is. And I need to be serving him. And uh, when we see our earthly boss or supervisor... Paul is saying, we must see Jesus. And that sounds a bit bizarre, but the way I picture it is that if I see my boss, behind him stands Jesus. <laughs> and so however I behave with him, I'm doing it to Jesus behind him. And that's how Paul is saying, you know, remember who you are serving now. And in verse 8, Paul says this, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Paul is saying, when he says, knowing, come on, you know this. You know this. Get over the hump of not being appreciated at work. If you do one thing, one thing, good, however small, you will receive back from the Lord. God sees. God sees everything we do in the workplace God sees everything we do when we're volunteering. God sees everything we do in the home. 
even the smallest things. And you know, lots of people will do things, won't they? Will do good things with bad motives, but we're different. We do it from the heart for Jesus' sake. And your earthly boss might not see your your um, Christ-exalting motives or your kind of the good things that you do. It doesn't matter if they see it or not. Jesus sees it, and He will reward you. Press on, be obedient, and in due time, it will come back to you. Jesus talks about this in Luke 14 when he says this story to the disciples. He says, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return, and you'll you'll be repaid there and then. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they can't repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And Jesus is saying, don't let your motivation be about the external instant reward. Serve those and serve in a way where you don't expect or you can't expect earthly reward because God sees and he will reward you. What a motive that is, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I sit there sometimes at home with my computers out on my dining room table, filling out a spreadsheet that I kind of know deep down no one's ever going to look at, probably. (laughs) And I think, I do honestly think, why am I doing this? What is the point? I've said it to Corey a few times. I don't know what the point of my job is sometimes. (laughs) There is a point. I'm just having a bit of a bad moment. (laughs) But what a motive. The smallest things you do, whatever occupation, whatever industry you work in, the smallest things you do, if your boss doesn't reward you, God sees it, and he will reward you, however small, if you're doing this for him. And then finally, there's a word for people who find themselves responsible for others, or bosses, or supervisors, or team leaders, or whatever. And he says this in verse 9, Masters do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. So what is Paul saying when he says, when he says um, do the same things? What does he mean by that? Well, he's saying that bosses, team leaders, supervisors, you are now a slave of Christ. Lead, manage as if you are working for Jesus. Behave the same way as I'm telling your employee to behave. And if you're in charge here, you have great responsibility. And I'm sure there's many of us in this room who have either a managed person or a team or whatever. You have great responsibility and you have a privileged position to be able to bring the God and godly principles into the workplace. And so Paul is saying, do the same thing. So sincerity of heart. Don't be tempted. Bosses, don't be tempted to eye service. You know, we all like to be liked. I don't know if you probably, a lot of you have seen the TV series, The Office, David Brent, you know, the worst line manager ever. And all he cares about is wanting to be popular and liked. But in all seriousness, it's very funny to watch. We all want to be liked, don't we, sometimes? And particularly if you're in a, in a position of authority or, or, you know, prominence. And Paul is saying, no. That isn't it. That's not what it's about. 
Do whatever you do in your position of authority with a sincere heart. Don't build your life on trying to impress people. God's not interested. <laughs> God's interested in what you, what your heart, what's in your heart. And if you're a boss or a supervisor here this morning, God sees. He sees the tough decisions that you have to make. He sees the tough people, maybe, that you have to work with. But God also sees your practices. He sees your honesty. He sees if you're upright. Ceasing your threatening. What does he mean by that? Now, I just want to add, as an HR professional, <laughs> if someone is late for work, then it's absolutely fine to give them a warning. <laughs> but what Paul is saying is don't let threatening be your first reaction to your employee. Investigate. Have a merciful disposition. Get behind the failure. Understand what's going on in your employee or your, your team's lives. That's what Paul's saying here. Don't just be instantly like, oh, you're rubbish, you know, warning. Find out what's going on. We don't build relationships in any context on threats, do we? And then finally, Paul says to bosses, there is no partiality with God. And God looks at and rewards the good that we have done. And this principle should be par paralleled in the workplace, shouldn't it? It puts to death kind of like the old boy network. It puts to death the, um, it's not what you know, it's who you know thing. Bosses, we must show no partiality. And Paul is saying here in this, in this passage, in this verse, you, Mr. Lord, Mr. Boss, Mr. Supervisor, have a new Lord now, the same Lord as your employee. He's in heaven and his authority dwarfs your authority. And if you're in charge, your earthly status doesn't matter in heaven. So live like that now. So, kind of as I draw to a close, I was, um, there were three things that as I was preparing this that I felt God wanted to um, kind of really encourage people with, but also maybe kind of speak to people about. And uh, I don't know, you know, some of you may have already felt that God has been speaking to you this morning. Would the band like to come up and I'll, as I close? Um, the first thing is some of you may be sitting here thinking, well, it's all very well, Nick saying all this stuff, because it all sounds very good, but in practice it's a lot harder to do. <laughs> and um, how on earth do we do this? This is a high calling, isn't it? Well, I just want to encourage you this morning that the answers are in God's word. Paul says in Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10, we are now God's workmanship. We, God has created us. You are a new person. God doesn't say, be like this, and then lets you get on with it. He says, I'm going to help you. I'm filling you with my spirit. I, you are my workmanship. I am changing you. I am making you more like you. And so, you know, if you have been stirred or challenged this morning, you're thinking, I just can't, but it's really difficult to be godly in the workplace. God is saying, I am working in you and on you. And you need to walk into what God is doing. In Ephesians 4, 22, 24, um, Paul says, we are being made more like Jesus. Our minds are being renewed to think differently. We need to be filled with the Spirit. So if you are stirred and you're thinking, this is a really high calling and I'm struggling with this, you know, 
remember that God has called you. He's called you for good works. He wants to fill you with his spirit to enable you, to help you to do this. And I would encourage you to come and, you know, get some, you know, get prayed for, get some support, get some encouragement about that. The second uh, person or, or kind of challenge here is this whole thing about being enclosed by Jesus. Maybe my story kind of, you know, you, as I say, you know, you felt similar things. And I just want to read this, these verses to you from Psalm 139, which really, really helped me when I was struggling. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down, you know when I rise up, and you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path. God knows your path in the workplace. My lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. You know my ways, God. God knows your ways. He knows what you struggle with. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your strengths. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Maybe you've said things in the workplace, you think, oh, I wish I'd never said that. Well, God knew that you would say that, and he's going to show you grace and help you through that. You hem me in, behind and before. When you go to your work tomorrow, this week, God's behind you, he's in front of you. He's the man standing behind your boss as your boss gives you the impossible task. <laughs> and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Well, we can attain it through Jesus. <laughs> and then finally, I just feel that God is um, just stirring and challenging some people in this room. And the question is, is will you let Jesus be Lord of your life this morning. You know, I've talked about how Jesus is our master and how that brings freedom. And will you let him be your master in every situation in your life? Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls in me. And it sounds counterintuitive, making someone else your Lord. You're thinking, well, hang on, I want to be free. Well, you will be free if you make Jesus your Lord, if you make Jesus your master. Because his yoke is light, and he is gentle, and he's gracious to us, and he will give you rest for your soul. So if any of that has spoken to you this morning, we're going to sing a, a final song, and then um, the prayer team are going to gather over the, in the corner over there. I'll be, nothing magical about that corner, it's just <laughs> a corner. I will be hanging around Tom, Tim, whoever else, your life group leader, anyone else, you know, Len, you know, please do respond if you feel God has spoken to you. Deal with some stuff this morning. Okay.